Hey there! Welcome to the What Connects Us podcast, where we explore human connection with people in the province. My name is Mason Gardner, and today we're connecting with Megan Rivas, who is going to debunk some myths about fostering and her journey to adopting her three kids. I think you'll like this one. All right, we're back with episode two of season two of the podcast, and we've got a heartwarming story for you today, and one that I think will squash a lot of stereotypes and misconceptions about a certain topic. Growing up, a lot of the movies and TV shows I watched featured foster parents in a negative light in order to build that underdog, resilient backstory for the main character. Some movies off the top of my head, we've got Annie, Like Mike, Stuart Little, um, Harry Potter. All of these movies villainized foster parents for their ulterior financial motives or abuse on their kids. This week's guest is here to restore some faith and set the record straight with her story of how some tragic news for her and her husband transitioned into a journey with fostering and eventually adoption. Megan Rivas is here and we're going to chat about the intense roller coaster that comes with fostering, the financial impacts and the long emotional process that comes with adoption that I promise will leave you rooting for this family. If you've ever been curious about fostering or adoption, this podcast will answer a ton of questions for you as Megan doesn't hold anything back. She's both vulnerable and incredibly educational in her storytelling style, and I think you're going to like this one. So let's get started. What connects us to Megan Rivas? You're about to find out. Megan Rivas, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you very, very much. I'm definitely very honored to be here. This will be awesome. But Megan, we made it. We're through 2020. Can you believe <laughs> we, it? We made it through. We survived. <laughs> How has the first couple of days of 2020 been? Have you noticed a difference at all? Um, I think that it, there's just a bit of a hope yeah. that right in 2020, it was like, when is this going to be over? Right. When it, right. And now with vaccinations and things, it's like, okay, yeah. like, you know, we're still in this bad hang on. Yeah, it's it's not going to be forever. Yeah, the moment it struck twelve, I just thought. I think I tweeted this <laughs> at midnight. Is it over yet? Like, is this? Yes. Is, it, is it? Are we done? You're just kind of poking your head out, just to <laughs> like like a like a groundhog on Groundhog's Day. Like, is it done? Are we done now? Absolutely. So we've made it to 2021. What was navigating 2020 like for you, especially with three young kids? Um, you know. I think everybody has their own story about 2020. And um, sometimes I've heard people be like, oh, it was so awesome to be home. And I just crushed Netflix. Who are these people? I need to meet them. Right? And I'm like, oh, my God, we had such an opposite experience. (laughs) Within like two days, our whole structure of our life and routine was gone. And here I am at home with three young kids. And we can't go anywhere. We can't really see anybody. And having to navigate that. Them understanding that yeah. and their emotions and your own. And so, you know, I think 2020 definitely taught me that I'm stronger than I think I am. Yeah. Um, but also that it's okay to ask for help. Right. And so it was definitely with supports of our family and different things mm-hmm. that we got through it, that's but it was a, not easy. That's such a good point about how these kids you're, you're teaching them all the rules and structure. Yes. And then within a day, you're being like, no, 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 this is not okay anymore. Absolutely. Like, my nephews who are four and three, we had to introduce this like brand new word. We call it like the virus. And yes. they would say the virus. Like they, so there you'd be like, oh, you can't go and play on the slide. And they'd right. be like, well, why? And you have to be like, well, it's the virus. They're like, oh, the virus. <laughs> like, so that's, they're trying to formulate it. Well, that's it. And we, we call the government the boss. Yeah. And so it's like the boss says, we yeah. can't go to Nana and Papa's now or the boss. And, you know, because they'd be like, mom, like, why can't I come to the store with you? And yeah. I'm like, oh, the boss says, like, I just blame it all on the boss. I wonder what 
they picture the boss being? <laughs> well, we, like, so he lives at the ledge, at the <laughs> legislature. <laughs> like, so they think it's a castle. Yeah. They probably picture him as a king. Totally. And, yeah, with all of his knights. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. So before we get too far into uh, your story, let's jump in with a quick introduction. Tell me, who is Megan Revis? Give me some background on who you are so we can better understand your story. Okay, well, I'm Megan. And I was born and raised in Regina. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm 34. Okay. And uh, I'm married. I've been married for 14 years this December. So if you do the math. Oh, that's early. We were babies, essentially. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, and we have three kids, beautiful kids, that we've adopted out of foster care. And, uh, and I'm a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. And so that's kind of the gist of my life. And of that'll, who I am. that'll keep you busy to be a stay-at-home mom. Three kids under how old is Odin? He's eight. Eight. So three kids under eight. Yeah, yeah, four or five and eight. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that'll keep you busy for sure. So you talked about being married. How did you meet your partner, Justin? Give us any background on your relationship that is relevant to the story. So we actually met in church. Um, I was basically born in church, like probably like there ever since I was a newborn. But (laughs) Justin came when I think we were about five or six. Okay. And I remember seeing him and seeing this like boy with like these big eyelashes. That's what I I can picture of him. But he was a year younger. And um, it wasn't until um, he homeschooled. But in grade eight, he came to my school. Oh, okay. Did the the light from God like shine on him through the sky? We were opposite of high school sweethearts. Oh, no. He has loved me since we were 13, is what he would say. And I could not stand him. Um, (laughs) You know, he he was like, he came in and he was this 13-year-old cocky boy who was very good at anything from school to sports. And I just thought, like, get out of here. And he was homeschooled He was homeschooled. And so, Uh, you know, when you have your mom championing you, you just think you're the best. (laughs) That's what I tease him with. And uh, and so I just, yeah. So we went through high school and we had the same group of friends. Like, I just couldn't get away from him. Mm And then we went to a post-secondary and Bible school after. Yeah. And I, I thought he was following me, um, <laughs> essentially. And the poor guy, like, he didn't give up. Right. He is determined. He's resilient. And he's resilient. And, uh, but when we were, like, 19, 18, 19, it started to shift in me. Uh-huh. Where, you know, I was, I was, it just was actually in, like a blindfold came off. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, man, he's a really good guy. Yeah. Like, all the characteristics and things that really matter, and- he's and great eyelashes and gr- to this day beautiful <laughs> yeah. eyelashes so i was kind of love struck yeah. and uh, but because we grew up to each other with each other have seen the good the bad and the ugly essentially yeah. like puberty right absolutely <laughs> and uh and so are we basically from dating to getting married was a year and a half Oh, wow. Yeah. So we were just babies. Yeah, you like skipped the steps. We did, right? Yeah. And uh, and so we were 20. He was technically 19. But oh. two weeks later, he turned 20 because okay. I'm seven months older. Right. And uh, and so that's kind of how we started our yeah. adventure. Now we look at 20-year-olds and we're like, oh, my God. Like our parents must have been freaking out. Well, I couldn't pick a like a Subway sandwich (laughs) at 20. Oh, yes. And a life partner. Yeah. But, you know, I look back and it's not for everybody. It's not. And it does take a lot of work. But 14 years later, I'm like, thank God I was smart enough at 19 to snatch him up. Like he's still to this day. He is such a quality guy. And we've really grown and learned and 
it's going to be a very cool thing to look back and be like, man, I was really with the love of my life um, from an early age and look at the life that we've experienced mm. and developed together. It's crazy. Hey, like when you know, you know. Yes. Yeah. And and it, there's no doubt it takes work. And mm. we have been through some tough stuff, right. even at the beginning of our marriage. And um, you kind of have a choice when you hit those hard things, whether you're going to work together mm-hmm. or it's going to pull you apart. Right. And we have made conscious decisions to work as a team and to work through it and communicate. And I think we live in that, the effect of that now. Awesome. So did you always want to be a foster parent or an adoptive parent or how did, how did that enter the conversation? Um, it wasn't, I think we had talked about maybe adopting at some point in mm-hmm. our life. We thought like when, after we had our own kids and maybe we were older. Um, so it was kind of like on the, f- on that scale. Yeah. Um, but I'd always wanted to be a mom hands right. down. And actually when I was looking at what do I want to do with my life? I was one of those people that was like, I would love to be a stay at home mom. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I was thinking <laughs> yeah. um, back then. Um, but it was like, yeah, being a mom was really important and it was important for Justin too to have kids. And so we were on the same page about that. What we didn't know and no couple ever sees coming was after being married for about three years, we decided, you know what, this seems like a good time Let's start. to right to start yeah. a family. We had no idea that we would not be able to Aww. have kids. So that was one of our first, I mean, infertility is um, such an excruciating thing to actually walk through. Right. And even to this day, it is still a painful thing. But we really had to navigate that. Mm-hmm. And um, it definitely could have tore us apart. The stress, the pressure. the and um, But it came to a point where we just had to sort of settle. We ha- I had to work through counseling, a lot of emotions. Sure. Um, but but we were just kind of at a place in our life where we were both working full time. We like to travel. But then one day I saw a family that I knew was a foster family mm-hmm. and I watched them with these kids. And it was the first time that it kind of popped into my head like we could do that. Mm-hmm. We could be a foster family. So I talked to Justin about it and his reaction was like, mm, no, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like if we're supposed to maybe one day, but it was, right. and I could tell like, okay. And it definitely is a decision that both of you need to be on board for. So for I just sure. kind of let it go. But then six months later, a light went on for Justin mm. and it was like, you know what? We have a home and we have food and we have shelter and we got a love. Uh, we have a lot of love to give. Mm. And so why don't we bring in kids that need a family for a time? Here's the crazy part. We didn't actually know other foster parents. Oh, right. We were super naive to what fostering really was. What yeah. we had the perception of was from the movies, like kids come into care when they need a safe place for a time and then they go home. Yeah. It was very temporary. When we told our parents about it, they kind of freaked out. Oh, did they? Yes, because everybody's heard the story of like the foster neighbor, like burning down the house. And like, (laughs) to be honest, everything around fostering is so negative. The perception of foster parents to the kids. And it was kind of affecting us where we were like, maybe we're crazy to do this. But then at the end of the day, we're like, do we feel like this is the right thing? Mm -hmm. And we did. So So was that like a gut instinct? It was a a complete gut instinct. And like for us, our faith has been a really important part of our life. And we just feel like when we're surrendered to that, it will guide us if Mm. we're able to be in tune to listen to that. This was one of those unexplainable, we were drawn to it. It felt like the right thing. And so we like Googled 
foster parenting in Saskatchewan. <laughs> yeah. It gave us a number. I called the number. They sent a pamphlet in the mail that really? was kind of like, this is what it looks like to be a foster parent. If you're still interested, call this number. They, s- they sent a pamphlet in the mail. Yes, it's different now. Okay. Okay. It's different now. But this was like eight, <laughs> oh. well, nine years ago. Yeah. And, uh, but then a, a worker came to our house probably to kind of scope us out. Totally. Right. But yeah. she came and was answering questions and it was like, okay, I think this is really something we want to move forward to. Mm. So we signed up, again, thinking this is temporary. Um, And once we, you have to do um, like a 10-module course, training course. It's called Pride. Okay. And uh, and it has different sections on different parts of fostering. Mm. And um, and so when we now it's online, so it's a lot more accessible. But yeah. back then we had to go like three hours every week for ten weeks. It took us like oh, two and a half months. Yeah, get your to degree get degree right? in fostering. Yeah. But thankfully, it really did prepare us. Yeah. Where we began to understand more about fostering, what it was, um, even more about the type of kids that we would be having in our house. The point of fostering is always reunification, Yeah. right? It's, yes, we're providing a safe place for these kids, but we're also working with mom and dad to get to the place of healthiness that they the kids can go back. Right. In a perfect world, that would always happen, mm-hmm. but we don't live in a perfect world. And so even in training, we heard stories of there are times where kids don't go home right. and they need a forever home mm-hmm. or they're with you longer. And so in that moment, we knew we had a decision to make, like, you know what, if we will love kids whether they come in our home for one day or for forever. Mm -hmm. We are going to be open to whatever this journey looks like. Mm -hmm. And so that was how we got started. Oh, that like, you just gave me a a whole big truth bomb right (laughs) off the bat. Like good for you guys. How many times do you hear of marriages crumbling because of infertility? Absolutely. And it's awesome that you guys had your faith in order to, to fall back on in order to guide the way for what your path will be. And I think the misconception about being a foster parent is that some people do it for the financial gain. You mentioned it too. Like you see it on TV shows. The foster parents are always like the bad guys. Yes. And like Matilda is like, yes. is just figuring out her way. Right. Um, so put those misconceptions to bed, educate us on what like financial supports you receive mm. and, and what do you have to bring to the table? It, it That is a really prevalent thought that people have about foster parents Mm -hmm. that you get into it for the money let me just put it out there you are not going to make the millions foster parenting like I don't know where that came from maybe if you had 30 kids in your home eventually right um but the truth is that social services we do get a monthly amount essentially it's about 650 dollars and they break down exactly what that money is for this much is for food this much is for utilities transportation and so you're able to use that towards meeting the kids needs there is not all this extra totally. after that. Now, I'm. there has been times where you hear the story of the foster parent who, you know, feeds their biological children steak and the foster parent or the foster yeah. kids craft dinner. Like and, Harry Potter. Right? Yeah. Like skimp on that. And But the truth is that um, now to become a foster parent, it's a pretty invasive process oh, yeah. in that they really get to know you. Do and they? I feel like um, you can't, you're not just going to be able to foster because you want to. Right. Um, it needs to be the right fit. And now being able to find out people's motives, I think they're much more thorough than they used to be. Good. Yeah. That's, and that protects the kids in the yes. long run. Hey, um, so let's talk about your first son, Odin <laughs> and how he came into your life. You're smiling I as I've been bringing up his name. I know. How did the fostering start with Odin? 
So he was our very first child. Um, we also decided to be a baby home. Another one of those gut led things yeah. where we had done a little bit of research and it was like that early intervention of kids attaching of their needs being met. Like it yeah. actually can set the tone for the rest of their life. Right. And so I decided to quit my job. Mm. which financially was a sacrifice. Because mm. like I said, there is money to provide the child's needs, which is great, but there isn't extra. And right. so we went from a two-income house to a one-income house, and there were sacrifices in that. We couldn't just go out to eat at a restaurant anytime we wanted, right. go travel. But for us, it felt like me being home and being able to bond with these kids was the right thing. Awesome. We also had the wisdom to start with one child, yeah. not four. Good for you. Um, and <laughs> yeah. so, so Odin came into our lives at four months old. He was our first little guy so did you get to this might this is going to be a dumb question mm -hmm. you don't did you get to choose odin or essentially yes um that is the other thing you do fill out a preference sheet and communicate with your worker on um you know these are the things i'm comfortable with these mm -hmm. are the age range these are the needs that i'm comfortable with and so they then would call you and say you know what i have a child that i think fits into um what you're looking for in your home and then you can decide right. yeah, this is a good time this is not a good time and then you can even meet the child at yeah. times and just make sure you know, because they don't want to move a child if they don't have totally, to. So we're yeah. looking for a good fit. So for him, they called it was this four month baby and it was like, OK. And he'd come into foster care um, as a newborn. Mm. So he had been with a retired nurse who is phenomenal. And she's like had over 100 babies in her home now. Right. And she just takes them as babies. But then when they start to get bigger, um, they transition to another home. Amazing. She's amazing. She takes very drug addicted babies, yeah. ones with high medical needs. Like she's an angel. An angel. Yes. So we are very fortunate that that was Odin's beginning because yeah. it was a good beginning. Yeah. But I remember meeting him. Um, we met him at the nurse's office because he was getting his immunizations. Like oh. what a way to Ouch. meet him for the first time. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, like even knowing his personality, even as a four month old, I can just picture him and he's just looking at us like, who are these people? Right. <laughs> like so skeptical and he should have been because then two days later he comes home with us yeah. and we have this baby and we're like, what do we do with yeah. this baby? Oh my God. Like we had all this training on foster parenting and, you know, and trauma and things like that. But all of a sudden it was like, oh, how do you give a baby a bottle? Totally. Like how do yes. you change a diaper? Because you don't have nine months no. to prepare. Even we didn't know if we were going to get a newborn, a four month old, a two year old. So yeah, you're not going to the prenatal classes. You're, you're not, not having swaddling practice. No. Like you are thrown right? into it. And here he is. And so those first couple of weeks were scary. Yeah. But both of our families live in the city. They are um, so supportive. And even when they met Odin, all it took was a few months and they just fell in love with him and were like, mm. thank God you did this. Like, th thank you for not listening to Amazing. us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> because this is a beautiful little boy and whether he's in our life for five months or we didn't know at that point. So is that hard going into fostering, especially like a newborn where yes. your, your motherly instinct is to be attached to this child, yes. thinking that there may be a chance that this baby may be taken away from yeah. you. And not taken away, but yes. like, like unified. Reunited, yes. Yeah. Yes, it is something you go into like where you have to keep a conscious thought that fostering is not about you. Mm -hmm. It is about this child. Oh yeah, so true. What this child deserves is all of your love, mm. okay? And so um, there's a big risk when you don't know if they're gonna leave the next day, mm -hmm. are they? And it is always, it is such a roller coaster because 
social services is working hard with mom. Mm -hmm. Here's our dad and here's the plan. And if you can do these steps, then we can work on reunification. If those steps aren't happening, then they're always looking for family. Yeah. Okay. So it's, you don't know if you're going to get a call. And so as you're attaching to this baby and becoming, it's always on the back of your mind, he could leave tomorrow and my heart's going to be broken. But we always, we had the perspective of, we want to take the pain so that they don't have to. Right. Right. Because giving them a loving home and that attachment is a gift. And so even though my heart breaks, it's it's, be, it's so that their heart doesn't Absolutely. the same way. And not that there isn't a transition when they leave and it's not painful for sure it is, but it was why we wouldn't hold back. So tell me about the transition to adoption for Odin. So as I said, time went on where it was becoming, you know, he was a year old, getting a bit older, where it was seeming like, you know, um, it doesn't look like he's going to be able to go home. Mm -hmm. And that was the other eye opener for us in fostering. Um, We didn't realize even the cycle of addiction and how powerful that is Mm -hmm. and how hurt people, (laughs) right, numb pain in different ways. And to break those cycles can be very, very difficult. Right. And so we were dealing with deep addiction issues. And um, and so it was looking like, you know what, mom's not. It's very possible he's not going to be going home. So we were always, they were always looking for family. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they would call and say, remember, this is after he was a year. Kate, we found family. We're probably going to move him in a couple oh. weeks. And you're like, oh, okay. And I mean, at this point, we've had him for a year. And you have no say in it? You have no say. No, oh. not at all. I, this is what you've signed up for. Like it, you don't get first right or refusal or anything? No. Oh. No. And so then, um, but then we would wait months and kind of hear nothing about it. Oh. So you have that always over your head. And that happened twice. Oh. Where we thought he's going to be going and then it took a long time with communication because there is a family finders unit and they're working with the bands and they're like, it is a very big operation to try to find family for these kids. When Soden was two, just about two, a couple weeks before, um, we actually took a family trip to Hawaii. Because we also wanted to give, right? Yeah. We wanted to give him those experiences if we could. He could still fly for free. Right. And we went, and I remember being on that trip and being like, man, um, they haven't been able to find family. Maybe he's actually going to be able to stay. Aww. And I remember letting my guard down a little bit and thinking, man, because he's a beautiful kid, maybe we will get to adopt him. Yeah. We get home and we got a phone call that they found no. family again, right? Yeah. But this time... Um, this family was an amazing family and it was an older couple and they'd been fostering and our hearts were broken. He's almost two at this point and very attached and very, but it was that moment where we're like, we can't say that we're a better fit than family. Like we need to let him go and believe he's going to have a good life. And so we need to help this be the healthiest transition ever. So we would have the family in our home. We would go to their home. We're trying to make Odin comfortable. Yeah. I mean, that wasn't expected. That's like meeting your your ex's new beau. Like that is hard. Well, because then they want him to call them mom yeah right and you're like oh this is but i'm mom right so there was a lot of emotions and um and then he'd have to go for some sleepovers and long story short odin began to react really poorly to the transition and um the one time he's supposed to go for a week and after we called after three days we found out that he didn't eat and drink for three days really and he was sick and um we went and picked him up and once he got home uh, like a switch went off and he was running around the house he was so excited 
he was completely fine. And we took him to our family doctor that day and she diagnosed him with traumatic stress disorder. Oh. And I said, would a two-year-old really quit eating because they're under such stress? And she said, that's exactly what they would do. So that was a bit of a red flag that we needed to slow down this process. And so after that and social services, seeing how poorly he reacted to leaving us, um, it came to that point that we would be able to adopt him. How did that feel? Oh, I mean, you were like a huge, we honestly, all our families, we were completely prepared for him to go. Yeah. And it was like this, and there, it seemed like it was impossible for him to stay. And then to have like a switch and it was like, okay, you are going to be able to celebrate his second birthday oh. and his third and his fourth and his fifth. And it was a, a powerful moment yeah. where it was like, okay, he's going to be ours. Now it's still a process. You know, it wasn't until he was three and a half that it was finalized. Yeah. But you at least had like, but we had that reassurance, the reassurance, you know, and there was still like, Hey, family could still come out of the woodwork. So you still can't get completely comfortable, mm -hmm. but it was pretty exhausted by that point. Yeah. And, but we still didn't know until it was a done deal mm -hmm. that he was ours. Oh, so did they, did they call you? How did they deliver that news? Like yeah, I, well, what happens is uh, there's a lot of court document documents that need to yeah. go. If you adopt in the United States, you actually go to court. Oh, okay. And when the judge finalizes it, you're a part of that here. It all happens without you, oh. where it's just these forms that go in. The judge makes his decision whether yeah. he's in favor or not. And if he is, then 30 days, there's a period to that still could be um, objected. Yeah, yeah, overruled. And But once those 30 days are done, you get a order of adoption in the mail. Oh, you, and then you found it in the mail. You get it in the mail. I love that the mail system <laughs> is such a big part of this family or about this story. You yes. get you get a pamphlet. <laughs> you get right? your adoption orders. Yes. And you don't know, like, is this the day it's going to come? Yeah. Is this, you know, not fully? Well so. done, Canada Post. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm very happy that you could be along the ride with us. Yes. Wow. Okay. So at some point you determined you had a lot more love to give in your house went through that roller coaster ride and you're like, you know what? Let's do <laughs> Let's it again. Do it again. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about how Nesta and Serenity came into the equation. Well, after when Odin was um, just over three, it felt like, you know what? We feel like we can take in another child. There's still a huge need. And again, you have no idea what situation you're going to get, how long the child's going to stay. Right. Um, once we were ready, we called social services. <laughs> they were pumped. And it was like, I think we got a call the next day. Yeah. We have another baby. We had a beautiful little girl named Night Song um, come. She was with us for four days. Yeah. And then they found family. And oh. she went to family. You just and had the golden just, touch. Right? Yeah. It, was, it was just like for four days. And, um, and then after that, we took in another little boy at nine months old. And so, but we had him for five months. And after five months, he then went to a family friend okay. who adopted him. Yeah. And we are still in touch with him, oh, which awesome. is such a cool yeah. situation. Um, and then after he went home, it was about two months later that we were like, okay, time to do it again. Yeah. And we got a call for a newborn. And it was our son, Nesta, mm -hmm. and he was two days old and he came from the hospital. And um, the funny thing is we hadn't had a newborn at that point, right. really. Right. Yep. So we had said, you know what, to kind of ease us in, we're not going to take a baby that's like really addicted to drugs or has high medical needs um, because of like the like constant crying, those yep. kind of learning curves. And then we get our sweet boy, Nesta, who is 
healthy. Um, and yet he developed severe colic and oh. he would cry for six to eight hours a day. Yeah. And I remember going in at six weeks to the pediatrician and being like, what, am I killing this baby? <laughs> am I doing this wrong? Like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah. And she, her son had severe colic. She recognized it right away, oh. recognized the signs. And she said, at three months old, um, it is like somebody had who's going to replace your baby. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be done. And he'll be okay. And I almost started crying. I'm like, oh my God, I have another year or another month and a half of this. Like, are you kidding? And she was exactly right. At three months old, it was like overnight. It was just done. Really? And he was settled. And he did have like tummy issues and a tongue tie. Like there were Mm -hmm. aggravating factors. But he was like, so he was a hard newborn yeah um and then when he was four and a half months so we had just been basically like a month colic free yeah we found out that odin's mom was nine months pregnant Oh. and um we were we are big believers in um keeping connection with birth family yeah whether that's parents or cook them or aunts or uncles right. whoever can be that these children can be connected because it is a big part of their story absolutely and who they are and as a foster parent or adoptive mom that is messy yeah. but it's also the right thing so we found out through um, a situation that that mom was nine months pregnant. So we called social services um, because we knew mom's history and knew that there was a high chance this serenity would Mm. be coming into care. And so we basically had one week to decide whether we were going to take serenity in. And um, we had a three and a half year old, a four and a half month old, did I say that correct? Yep, yep. You did. And uh, and are we going to take in a newborn? Oh. But within that week, it became harder to picture not taking her in than it did to take her in. Well, especially that's his sister. It's right? his full blood sister, yeah. right? Or has the same mom and dad. Yeah. And uh, and so she was born, and um, through circumstances, she was apprehended, mm-hmm. and so she came to us at two days old as well. And so we went from one child to three child or three children in like four and a half just the degree of difficulty just skyrocketed there's a reason you can't do that naturally exactly (laughs) it's like overnight amazing wow yes and only possible because of our family support yeah and as a family we did call our parents when we found out that serenity was going to be born and saying can we do this should we do this and they were all on we need to keep the siblings together Mm -hmm. even if it's just for a time we didn't know serenity's journey at that point but it was like at least that connection and our hope would be that we could always keep connected even if she left so there we were a family of three with two babies that were essentially like twins four and a half months is not a very big age difference right and fast forward a couple of years. Yes. So you adopted Nesta yes. and Serenity. You just yes. had a Christmas miracle. Yes. Where, yes, her adoption just got finalized. Oh, amazing. Yes. So now all three of them are officially adopted. And, you know, adoption on one hand is, is beautiful. We're so thankful that we get to raise our kids and parent them. But it comes with... Um, grief yeah. because they have lost a mm-hmm. lot. And so our job as adoptive parents is to try to lessen that tr- grief and that trauma as much as we can. So we have, we um, are in full contact with, so we are, have two birth families mm-hmm. and uh, we're in full contact with that family doing visits 
and um and then the culture piece for them all three of them are indigenous mm -hmm. and that's such a beautiful part to who they are often kids come into care they lose that yeah and that's part of looking at our history which is so horrific um our history with indigenous people and we don't want to repeat that history right. and so these kids came into care and now they're adopted and so what is the best way we can do to keep them connected to culture keep totally. them connected to family yeah because when you think about it like we have orange shirt day to celebrate Absolutely. the survivors of the residential school yes. system mm -hmm. and i know this is a controversial topic but people will think well you're doing the exact same thing absolutely Ugh. and that's part of where um the cycle has to break somewhere right. where because of residential schools, you have a whole generation where they were not parented. Mm -hmm. They were brought into this school at four, five years old, grew up in the school. Many were abused. All of them were shamed yeah. of, to be indigenous because it, the goal was to assimilate. And right. then they come out and it's like they don't know how to parent and they yeah. have all this pain and hurt. And then many turn to addictions, turn to other coping mechanisms, and then they have of their own children but then how do they parent totally. they were never taught these things and then so many of our birth parents are children of residential school survivors mm -hmm. and it's a, a a cycle that is so um sad yeah and and so a part of it was like how can we be an ally mm -hmm. to bringing a, a health and change and um and so part of that for us was you know, keeping our kids, not repeating the cycle yeah. and keeping our kids proud to be indigenous and, and having indigenous people around us yeah. and, um, and their bands to help, um, us guide them and yeah. parent them. And I can speak from firsthand. You guys do that all the time. I see that you are either at powwows or yes. you're just making sure that they're constantly connected to that, yeah. to that Yes, culture. ceremonies and us ourselves, we have done training and gone to culture camp and mm -hmm. things so that we can understand more. And we have uh, we will smudge in our home. We have a lot of indigenous art and just things that we want to surround our kids with yes. their culture because it's so beautiful. Yep. And, um, you know, they are going to face a lot of prejudice in yep. their life. It's it's prevalent in Regina. Yeah. I remember one time when Odin was three and we were trick-or-treating in the mall and I was with my nieces who are Caucasian and there was a lineup to the the stores were handing out candy and there was yeah. a jewelry store and I'm watching the woman. We're standing back. The kids are in line and I'm watching her and she's taking handfuls of candy, handfuls of candy. And then she gets to Odin and picks up one and puts it in his basket oh, no. and then takes a handful and gives <sighs> my nieces candy and i was actually in shock like to this day i wish like why didn't i go and confront her why didn't yeah, i stand up but i it was my it was my first real experience with racism mm -hmm. and so we need to teach our kids who they are so that when they're told who they're not <laughs> they know this isn't who i am that's intolerable i cannot believe that that, yeah. that still happens but you're a family a young family with three kids yes what's and it just kind of came out of nowhere. You like you said you you like snapped your fingers and all of a sudden there were three kids in your yes. household. What's your secret to making ends meet? <laughs> How do you make sure you're covered financially and plan for the future? 
I mean, it's no lie. Kids are expensive. Mm -hmm. And so even with my three now, I look at my boys who are five and eight and I look at how much they already eat. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, my God, when these boys are teenagers, (laughs) like we just need to buy a farm and live off the land. because I don't know how we're going to afford it. Like, you know, I know. And of course, I know their birth dads. I'm like, they're going to be tall. They're going to be big boys. And um, and then they're constantly growing. And so, you know, needing new clothes like keeping up with that it's expensive the one thing is that again like I said the ministry was really good at meeting the kids needs and so that was a a big help right um and so even now um our kids are adopted but they have something called assisted adoption Mm. and so that is a financial help every month we get for each one of them to put towards therapies and things to help support them right but it's a it's a big help. So that's a, a piece of the puzzle for us. We have things like child tax. Those things help. But again, a big part of it is it's a sacrifice for me to stay home. Yeah. Like it is. We don't have... We, we don't live extravagant lives. We have to be intentional to live within our means. Right. And if that means at times like we can't eat out all the times that we want or, you know, my kids, I'm constantly looking for sales for their clothes or we have some really great friends or family that we get hand-me-downs. Like there's just, you're just trying to be resourceful. Right. In ways that you can. Okay, let's pause there for a second. Three kids ages eight and under and on a single income? I'm impressed. Megan mentioned some solid tips about the things that they do to make sure that they live within their means, but in case you need some more tips, I reached out to Christina Berger, who is a financial advisor at our West Landing branch in Regina and a die-hard Boston Bruins fan. I asked Christina, if I were a parent or a guardian of a young family, what tips or advice would you recommend to plan for my kids' futures while still balancing their immediate needs? Here's what she had to say. Yeah, absolutely. I would suggest creating a budget that aligns to your family's future goals, such as setting up emergency funds for when something does come up. Make creating a budget a family effort and teach your kids about finances early. Once you have that budget created, then look at the amount that you can afford to set aside for your children's future. Do what you can to start early and take advantage of RESPs, which are Registered Education Savings Plans. The earlier you're able to start, the less it'll feel like a larger task closer to the time that your child goes to post-secondary. Another thing to think about as a parent is making sure that you have the appropriate amount of protection so that if something does happen to you, your loved ones will be taken care of. Also, very important to utilize your financial advisor. Partner together with them to make sure that you are on track to meeting your financial goals. Thanks, Christina. I can't vouch for your taste in hockey teams, but that's some good advice. There are so many acronyms that sound the same, like RRSPs, RESPs, RSVPs, and it gets so confusing. So definitely reach out to your financial advisor and they'll work with you to make sure you are set up for success to meet your financial goals. But not just yet. We still have another half of our interview with Megan. Let's head back there now. So what is something you learned during the fostering and adoption process that you didn't really expect to learn? I think that it wasn't what we expected in many ways. Again, we had a unique situation because out of five children we've had in our home, three are adopted. Mm -hmm. That's not normal. Um, The one thing I didn't expect was how much we'd have to advocate. Mm. As much as social services is filled with people that have good hearts. I absolutely believe that it is still a broken system. Right. And so even though it's supposed to be child first, 
there are a lot of policies or things that were very black and white and, and our situations were gray. Right. And so I would have to navigate. And even in our file, it says um, with our social worker, it was like Justin and Megan will advocate for their children even to like the aggravation of the worker. Oh, really? Yes. We were known. Like, we like we were, were known in the system. We were flagged. But we weren't um, mean about it. We yeah. were in no way. We, we It was important for us to do it within honor and within, but we we had to work hard. Yeah, you and had to advocate. We would not have any of our children mm-hmm. if we didn't advocate. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. They would have got lost to the system. And I'm not talking about them going home. or the, uh, Those yeah. doors were closed eventually after a few years, but it's just that they would be able to to stay with us in a permanent home that they've been with. Yeah, like the closure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think I just didn't expect how much it just doesn't, it's a roller coaster. It yeah. just doesn't go smoothly. Yeah. Um, you, if they tell you, you could have a child for two days, you could have them for three years. Yeah. Like you don't know. Right. So there is a lot of unknowing and it's just surrendering yeah. to the process to a degree, right. Of, of you can't control. And right. that's a really big piece yeah. and that being patient. And so there was a lot about myself that um that i had to step up yeah. and it actually taught you refined. like a, a motherly instinct as for well sure for did. advocating for your kids and i still need that yeah. because my kids still need extra supports in things i am constantly advocating for funding yeah um to be able to cover those therapies yeah. and even though some it's like well you know they've already had this and i'm like but i want their very best i right. want them to have the best chance that they can mm-hmm. and early intervention is that piece so totally. i will continue to fight yeah Yes, exactly. And especially with them being Indigenous, you're going to continue being an advocate for integration and all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. What are some misconceptions about being a foster or an adoptive parent that you've encountered? I think that piece around it being about you, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Not only just financially, um, that's like such a big one. Um, But I think about like for us, we didn't foster and adopt because we couldn't have kids like it wasn't to fill that hole or that gap because that's messy there's a lot of heartbreak involved in fostering it takes a strength and I think that people underestimate that um oftentimes people will be like you guys you're you're so amazing like you have these superpowers to be and it's like no we're very human it's taken a lot out of us yes and but we also have had incredible support it's not just like Justin and Megan that took on You know, these challenges and these, it's because of our community of friends, of church, of family that Mm. really gave us the ability to parent these kids well and to be able to fight for what was in their best interest to this day. And I do think a lot of strength comes from infertility. it It is such a silent issue that that couples have to face, that they have to build up that resilience and strength. And I think when it comes time to adopt, you are, you are, I am ready to give my love to, to, to anything right now that you really fight for them. Yeah, and you don't take them for granted. Yes, That is a piece that every adoptive parent has. If there is someone listening to this podcast considering fostering or adoption, what would you tell them? Like, what should they be prepared for? I would say this. I would say both Justin and I would say that the last eight years have been the hardest years of our life. And we've been through some stuff, Right. right? So it was, it's hard but in with every bone of my being, 
do I believe that it is worth it, yeah. that these kids are worth it. And if I had to go back and I knew everything that we experienced and had to go through, I would still make the choice yeah. again. And so what I would say is that there is a, a huge need out there. Mm -hmm. There's a huge need and it is growing bigger and they do not have enough foster homes. And so now you have group homes and things popping up right. because they don't have enough homes. Kids need to be raised whether it's for a week or for years they need to be in a home mm -hmm. and and so i would love to see more people stepping up and fostering um i don't believe it's for everybody right and here's the big thing i also don't believe it's forever mm -hmm. right you can just do it for a couple years and that's even for us we did not close our home after serenity was adopted yeah. because there wasn't a need yeah it was hard because there's a huge need and um we're still passionate about it yeah. but we knew that we needed to take what we had left in some ways and yeah. still put it towards our kids right. and be able to give them what they need. Mm -hmm. And so now it's time for someone else to take our place. Right. It just, you, you sound so prideful in the work <laughs> you've done, which I think is hilarious that the, the course's name is pride. Yes. You have to be that right person to be able to foster, but the amount yeah. of pride and satisfaction that you have, you're doing a very selfless thing, but you just feel so proud that that you were making that sacrifice in order to make sure that these kids grow up in a home. Uh, so last question. Now that you are officially a forever family of five. Yes. As of December. Yes. You're, you're grinning ear to ear <laughs> right now. What about the future are you most excited about for you, Justin, and your kids? I think it's really where... I see so much potential in my kids. I see it. And so it's why I'm willing to be with them as much as I am or give as much as I do being a stay-at-home mom and different. It's because I'm like, you are going to be incredible human beings mm. and you are going to be leaders in your community. You're going to like I and they're going to have their choices to make and there's going to be decisions that they make that um, are not always gonna be easy, but it's just that I have so much hope for who they can be. Mm -hmm. And so I'm excited to be a part of that and um, to know that like, I absolutely believe my kids are gonna do great things and make an impact I love in their that. lives. And they're going to be patient and they're <laughs> going to be fierce leaders just like their mom and dad. I love that. Thank you for sharing, that is, that is a story and I'm, I feel so honored that you were able to share just the, the highs and the lows, even just infertility. That is just a tough thing to share. Yeah. And I'm, I just feel so much energy from you and so much pride for your kids. Yes. And I thank you for that, sharing that with me, but you're not off the hook yet. <laughs> uh, I'm going to hit you with 10 speed round questions. Okay. I'm, uh, you haven't seen these, no. so this is going to be interesting. Um, but this is just a way for us to connect with you on a different level. So your first one, what is your new year's resolution? My new year's resolution is, is this self-care piece mm. huge because I realize how much the last eight years, especially we've been in crisis mode yeah. and it's paid its toll. Right. And now it's like, you know what, this is a year for mama needs to heal totally <laughs> right and needs to take more time for myself and more you know just to come back to I don't have to fight like that yes. anymore and so what's next for me totally. I can't give you those answers but I know this year I'm going to figure that out more awesome I love that um second question what is your theme song I can't like honestly this is not 
like a life motto song at all. Okay. It's just if you ever want to get me on the dance floor, you will play Timber by Kesha. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a little secret. I feel like that is like there's people <laughs> listening being like, yeah, she's not lying. <laughs> if you ever need me on the dance floor, I will be there. I will join you. <laughs> Next question. You have a night away from your kids. Mm-hmm. What's your plan? We are, Justin and I are foodies. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we would, we will pick a good restaurant and we will get the appetizer and the, right? The right. main course and the dessert and the drinks like that. And we could sit there for hours just hanging out, talking, enjoying food, enjoying our drinks. And that is kind of an ideal night I love that kind of like re-sparks the intimacy hey love that um next question what's a memory from your childhood that is just so vivid to you (laughs) okay so I have two older brothers okay I'm the only girl and uh, my middle brother was kind of like the jokester and the like the tease. I was I'm very sensitive, okay. so it was always kind of back and forth. Um, one day, my mom was making a cake and she was whipping whipped cream. Mm-hmm. I knew that. I was downstairs, and my brother brought me the beater to lick. And I thought, oh my goodness, that's being so kind of him to give me the whipped cream beater. So I just went ahead and took a big lick. Oh no. Only to find out it was sour cream. Oh no. And you know, and he would do stuff like that all the time. And so that's one that stands out. We have an incredible relationship now. You would never have known it when we were kids, but it's like images like that of my childhood that I, I hate sour cream. I am like, I, I'm, Breaking into hives thinking about that. <laughs> it's gross. Okay, next question. Do you have any irrational fears? Um, yes. Sour cream is allowed. Is that not, no. <laughs> yeah. I it's ridiculous. I am petrified of rats and birds. Okay. Petrified, but we, we like rats. Yes, explainable, ugly. Yeah, you know. But we've traveled, and there are places Hawaii in Europe where birds are prevalent and they're yeah. just you're eating your part and i'm close to having panic attacks and i'm right. like this is irrational this little pigeon can't touch you but i just cannot settle totally birds. I, I was expecting something more rational i feel like you see a lot with birds i think they can just come at you at any it's angle so gross they, they they can attack you from the air <laughs> and a lot of the times they'll come down swoop take what they want and get out of there so i i that's not that bad okay okay next question what is your most recent mom win? Um, so because of COVID, my kiddos were just home for the last four months or four weeks. Yep. And my oldest son, Odin, it's always a bit of a transition to mm-hmm. get back into school. And I knew like, you know what, by lunchtime, he's going to need a little bit of encouragement. Yep. And so, and he's learned to read now. And yep. so I just wrote him a big note just about how proud I was to be his mama and how he can do hard things and um, put it in his lunch kit and then taped some chocolates to it. Cute. And so that was for his first day back. Um, it I didn't know if he'd really care, but <laughs> he has talked about it three times. So I'm like, okay, it meant a little something. I love that. That's awesome. Okay, next question. What was your go-to outfit in high school? I had um, I had these flared jeans mm-hmm. that had a little bit of like ribbing around the bottom, oh, okay. like of like I don't know, some like attitude. a pattern, some yep. attitude. And then I had this 
yellow shirt that said like born to be wild <laughs> on it and then I had a cho- like and I was not wild like yeah. you know I mean high school like I wasn't oh I know and it just I just felt hot in it yeah. and so and I had like the little like elastic choker <laughs> and the black eyeliner absolutely yeah. and I was rocking it but I probably wore that shirt out what was that in the 90s to be able to have those like t-shirts that had like Fearless right? across, or like too sassy for yeah. you, or something, <laughs> or the smile s, yeah. or something. <laughs> wow, oh, that's awesome. Okay, last question: What connects us? Like you and me? No, or just in general. <laughs> yeah. Six feet is yeah. what it's yeah. connecting us at the moment. <laughs> but what connects us in general? Oh, I honestly, I think if you can be self-aware enough it's like especially covid i think has taught us that like you can't do this life alone Mm -hmm. you're not meant to do this life alone and so it's looking at yourself and being like what do i have to offer right is it just relationship is it calling up a friend that you know is struggling is it donating to the regina community fridge like i i just i'm passionate about just again making your life have an impact but kind of getting out of your box especially when the world's in crisis and just saying like we're all in this together but what does that together look like because isolation in this time is a dangerous thing people are struggling financially there it's hard times and I just think we as humanity will be better off if we're able to take a crisis like this and say what connects us is what can we do for each other I love that Thank you for sharing that. I think from this entire interview, I came in excited to learn more about adoption and and fostering because I felt quite naive to it. But what I'm taking from it is just a, a universal importance of selflessness and patience. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I feel just energized and I want to go go out and do some great <laughs> things in the world after this. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it was awesome. Well, that's it for this week's episode of the What Connects Us podcast. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. If you like the podcast, please do us a favor and hit that subscribe or follow button and give the post a like, comment, or a share. We'll see you in two weeks. Until then, Megan and I are off to listen to some Pitbull. Yes.